Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 in our Bibles. Yeah, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And uh, if you didn't know, it is uh, Valentine's Day week. Brothers are like, huh? Yeah, guys. Uh, you're lucky. I, I told you before, uh, before the day hits this week, you better get your card ready. Uh, you better get your uh, whatever it is, your wife or your, uh, that girl you're pursuing. You better get it all ready. It's tomorrow. Uh, it's tomorrow. Yeah. What well, Super Bowl today, though? I know. I know. I know. So you got you got a little bit of time. You got to figure it out. You're going to be in the doghouse on Tuesday. Okay. Um, but I did uh, give a talk in the um, uh, for the last uh, week here at the marriage conference, and I thought it was only uh, it, it was it was it was necessary for us to make the same deposit here at Legacy. Um, really, only get to do this about once a year. Make a heavy deposit. Um, in our church regarding uh, marriage and family, and, uh, and so I'm blessed to be able to do so today. We'll look at the origin of marriage and family all the way back in Genesis 1, and the title of the message, if you're taking notes today, is Relationship Goals. Relationship Goals. Ironically, uh, being able to speak with Pastor Greg uh, this last week, um, I also was able to discover that they were celebrating last week 48 years of marriage. 48 years! Incredible! Um, that's, that's uh, geez, that's like quadruple what I've been married. Um, it's really almost, almost, almost five times, um, you know, what we've been married, but it's incredible to think uh, what the Lord has done, what a legacy they are leaving. And, and really, Pastor Greg always makes the joke, um, you know, that he had been married, he's been married to four women over these last uh, 40 years. Uh, they, four, four women, all named Kathy is his wife's name. They, we, we change over the years. It's a joke, of course, on his marriage, but on himself as well, because we just keep changing. We keep growing as people. And that is why marriage remains difficult. It's because we never stay the same. Uh, we, we figure a person out and, and the things that uh, they need, and then they, uh, they become a different person, really, because of season changes, life changes, all kinds of things that are taking place. And uh, we are constantly growing in our relationship with God, constantly growing in our relationship with one another. Um, I, I'm so thankful to be, still be married to my wife, Katie. Ten years we have been married, and we married, I think, se 11 years this next year. Amen. By God's grace, we have two little kids, uh, Eden and Shep. Eden is three. She's about to be four, and Shep is one. But really, all that I'm sharing today with you is not because I have great wisdom through experience. I have gleaned from all the pastors around me, all the older people around me. I've been stealing gold from them for years. If I hear somebody sharing a little nugget of gold, I'm like, thank you. You know, I stick it in my bag and I store it away and I hide it away. Many of you have ministered to me. You didn't even know it. I'm just taking from you a little bit at a time. You don't even know it because I need that gold. I need to know now. I don't want to make a bunch of mistakes in life. When I was a kid, I used to say, no, I'm going to learn by making a bunch of mistakes. Let me fail. I'll figure it out. That's the uh, voice of a young person, an idiot. And uh, that's who I was. But it is really 
from my wife being so very patient and gracious with me that I have learned the most uh, through experience and watching uh, the way that I've affected her life and the way that she affects my life, to which I'm very thankful. By the grace of God, uh, we will stay married 30, 40, 50 years and continue on. That is legacy. Marriage, I believe, is the most difficult mountain to climb in this life. I don't think there is a more difficult mountain of 30, 40, 50, 60 years of marriage. There are few who will look at the, reach the top of that mountain and see that view in this day and age. Isn't that sad? Few will actually ever get to experience what that feels like because of the way our generation is going, but not you legacy. You guys are different because you have the spirit of God living in you. You have the gospel message in your heart. You have the tools to stay married and to work through the difficulty. You're going to be a different generation, one that worships God through all the highs and all the lows and continues to climb the mountain no matter what. Stay married in Jesus' name no matter what. Get that in your mind. Because if you get that in your mind, listen, you will treat arguments way different. You will treat situations way different when things go south and fail. If you're saying, I'm staying married no matter what, then you'll be very careful to push the nuclear button. You won't go there. You'll go right up to it, but you'll be careful to push the nuclear button. Now, if you're like, I can bail anytime I want, and I can remarry, and I can do all this stuff, there is no damage. People push the nuclear button all the time. And sometimes we do slip and push that button. But praise God, your spouse, on the other hand, has made up their mind as well that they're going to stay married, and they choose to forgive you. And they choose to keep loving you. And we learn and grow in that. Amen? I want this to be an encouraging talk for us today. I hope we will be blessed and encouraged by it. And we will bless our children and our children's children by the decisions that we make in these kind of sermons. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard of this one too. It was Sunday morning. A wife was all dressed up, ready to go to church. And... She said to her husband, honey, why aren't you ready for church? And he says, well, I'm not going. And I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, the people are cold. Number two, nobody likes me. And number three, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I don't want to go. The wife replied, I'll give you three reasons why you have to go. The congregation is warm. Number two, some people like you. And number three, you're the pastor. So get up and let's go. It's just a joke. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> you see, in the first year of marriage, the man speaks and the woman listens. In the second year of marriage, the woman speaks and the man listens. In the third year of marriage, they both speak and the neighbors listen. Okay. Yeah. Some people had asked an old couple, what is their secret to 50 years of marriage? The man said, well... We take time to go to a restaurant two times a week. A little candlelight dinner, soft music, fun, dancing. She goes on Tuesdays, I go on Fridays. <laughs> That's it. That's all you get, all right? A little fun because we will get serious today. I want to ask you the question, what is God's design for marriage and family? What did he have in mind when he was creating marriage and family 
in the garden in the beginning. What did he have in mind? What did he want to see happen? What did he desire to see come forth? I want to go back to the origin of the beginning of marriage and repaint the picture in our minds and see what God was up to. Genesis chapter 1, can we stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to look at chapter 1 and 2 in our Bibles. We'll just read together some of chapter 1, okay? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him, to remember whose word we are reading. Genesis chapter 1, take a look at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, so that they will have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that creeps on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given to you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth and every tree which has the fruit of tree uh, fruit of the tree yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that creeps on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask now by the power of your Holy Spirit, oh God, would you please... Maybe erase all of the false things we remember or thinking are in the garden. But would you enable us to see all of the structure and design that you have placed in the Garden of Eden for marriage and family? Would it anchor on our hearts and minds forever, help us to get back to the garden over and over again, the origin over and over again, to remember what you had in mind, what you intended. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Let's start with a blank canvas in our minds. A painting canvas, yes, that white canvas. Pull out your paint brushes. Get your paint ready. Get ready to repaint the Garden of Eden in your mind, what God was doing. As we work through the text, notice the key details and colors that God puts in there. The outline of our painting needs to happen of the Garden of Eden here in Genesis chapter 1. First notice, I'm going to quickly move through the text, okay? You follow along with me. Look at chapter 1, verse 26. God made man in his image and likeness. So the text says we would have dominion over every living thing as he does. He's given the earth to us and every living thing. We are made in his image and likeness. Why? Why? so that we would have dominion over everything. This is the reason given. As God has dominion over everything in the universe, including his creation, we have dominion over everything on the earth. Key, I've given you the earth. Enjoy it, it's your playground. Have fun, this is your place. I made it for you. And all of it worships me. Let it be a reminder to you. Verse 27 says, in the image of God, he made them male and female. The perfect image of God is male and female. Very important. When they come together in marriage, we have the perfect image of God. 
Male by themselves is not the perfect image of God. Female by themselves not the perfect image of God. When they come together in marriage, we have the perfect image of God. In the image of God, he created them male and female. And we see that God bears the attributes of both male and female. Or I should say male and female bear the attributes of God. And when brought together, we have somewhat of a picture of God's heart, God's mind, God's intentions. Verse 28 says he told them to be fruitful and multiply. You know what that means? Have families. Have community. Subdue the earth, he told them. Have families. Have kids. Have grandkids. Have great-grandkids. If you can, have them, have family, have community, and then enjoy the playground I gave you. you, are, you are you outlining your picture here? You got it? Verse 29 to 31, God says, I've given you all the plants, all the trees, all the animals. You have all the food you'll ever need. And they saw, the Lord saw everything he had made. And he says in the text, verse 31, that it was very good. Would you say very good with me? Very good. If you notice the Genesis narrative through chapter 1, after every single day, he says at the end of it, after he created it, that it was good. That it was good, that it was good, that it was good, that it was good, that it was good. And then at the end of all of creation, he says it was very good. It's important point in the story because of what he says when he creates man. We'll get there in just a second. You Bible students already know. He's essentially saying, Adam and Eve, go on, you two. Enjoy the earth. Have dominion over it. Have kids, have grandkids. Feast. I've given you all the food you will ever need. Enjoy the animals. Adam, you name them all. They're all yours. Have fun with them. Have a blast. I've created all this for you. It's all yours. Come talk to me every day. Stay close to me. Love each other, okay? Enjoy each other. Come hang out with me. Enjoy each other. Love each other. Enjoy the earth. This is the Garden of Eden. This is the way he intended it. This is the picture. How have we gotten so far from the simplicity of this place? It's so complex now, huh? Can we get back to the garden in our mind? This is the challenge I have for you today, relationship goals. Genesis chapter 2 zooms in on the creation of man and gives us shading and texture in our painting, fine details. You now get to start filling in your painting with shading again and, and texture in your painting. Really start to work out the painting. The author zooms in, Moses zooms in. In verse 7, chapter 2, it says, God formed man from the dust of the ground, picks up a handful of dirt, and God molds him and he breathes into his nostrils. God puts his own mouth in on the nostril of man and breathes life into him. Incredible. Verse 8 says that God is the one who planted the Garden of Eden. Did you ever remember that? God being a farmer. He goes on with his hat and his overalls on. He starts planting the garden. God made the garden. God planted it. Amazing. And he planted it for the man. Verse 15 tells us that God places the man in the garden to do two things. Cultivate it and keep it. Create and build. Water and tend the garden. Enjoy it. Notice man was working, creating, and cultivating in the garden before the fall of man. 
Before sin ever entered the world, before you ever had to work by the sweat of your brow, you would work and actually enjoy it. Some of you get glimpses of this in this day and age. You work and you actually love it. You're like, I love this. This is so fun to do this specific thing. I love creating this. I love building this. I love working in this manner. Some of you, it's even gardening. I personally love it. I love being in my yard. I love getting dirt in my fingers and I love working with wood. I love all of the elements. I love being in the ocean. I love all of this stuff connected to the earth. I don't know, it ministers to me. It's part of my rest. But we are made to create and build. Adam was doing it in the garden. God put him in there to tend the garden and the animals. Take care of them. Enjoy it. Verse 16 and 17 in chapter 2, God gives parameters and instruction for the life of Adam. Basically saying you can eat whatever you want except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why? Because in eating of that tree, you would be going outside of my, the relationship you have with me. You would be going outside of the knowledge and wisdom from God. You're going to somebody else for knowledge and wisdom. Well, you need to go to another source. I'm here for you every single day. Why would you go to the tree? Interesting. All they needed was found in him already. They don't need any outside sources. What a word for us today. It's all found in him. Verse 18, it says, God looked at man and said, hmm, this is not good. What was not good? After declaring everything to be good on the earth and very good after the completion of creation, a climactic moment in the story, God has Moses, the author, use a play on words and say, it is not good that man should be alone. It is not good. So I will make him a helper comparable to him. Amazing. Amen. A helper comparable to him. A helper. Why? Because man needs help. Yes, he does. <laughs> All the men are like, amen. <laughs> Verse 19 and 20 tell us that God brought each of the animals to Adam and he named them all. Verse 21 says we, it says we see the creation of woman. God put the man to sleep, and verse 22 tells us he took a rib from, her, from his side, and the text uses the word God fashioned. Fashioned. God fashioned the rib into woman. This is how she was made from day one, brothers. Fashioned. <laughs> come on, dad joke, come on. Lena. Fashioned. God put buying clothes into her bones, brothers. It's true. Fashion from the beginning. Get ready for the wedding of Adam and Eve. You want to attend the wedding of Adam and Eve? Here we go. Put on your suits, put on your dress, let's go. Here it is, verse 22 of chapter 2. God tells, it tells us that God, God brought her to the man. God brought her to the man, the first marriage. The father brought his daughter to the man. Beautiful. And Adam gives some personal vows. He says, Father, can I, can I do my own personal vows? I wrote them down earlier. Some parchment. Yes, yes, he can. Then the man said, verse 23, this one finally is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman because, she, because this one was taken out of man. A poem, a song, right there in the Hebrew text. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, 
my helper because I need a lot of help, my other half, she will complete me. She will be called Isha, woman, because she was taken out of Ish, man. A play on words even in their names. Poetry, vows before God, it's absolutely beautiful. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one. They become one, making all other relationships second, leaving their father and mother's covering and making their own home to themselves. And the man and the wife, verse 25, were both naked and not ashamed, praise God. This is the way it was supposed to be. No shame, not being nervous or scared, None of that existed, there was no fear. Here is the picture of marriage and the painting of life. This is the way it was in the garden. This is the way it was supposed to be. God with man and woman in marriage, he gave us the earth to enjoy and have dominion over it. He told us to be fruitful and multiply, have kids, have families, build community, cultivate, keep the garden, create and build, enjoy, enjoy all that I have given you in the relationship with me. This is the goal, this is God's design for marriage and family. Do you have the picture in your mind? It comes back to the two greatest commandments, love God and love one another. It's the whole Bible summed up in two phrases. And we still can't get back to it. Isn't that crazy? This is what he intended. Please love me. Come talk with me. Hang out with me on the earth. Enjoy the earth. I gave everything to you. And then please love each other. Build community and love each other. I'm telling you, when you're in the heat of an argument in your marriage, would you try to get back to the garden? Start thinking about your spouse in that light. Think about your kids in that light. Think about your grandkids in that light. You get back to the way that God has designed it in your mind and in your heart and magically the doors open and you can see once again. We need this picture, we need this painting, this is the foundation. I'm gonna give you a bunch of practical tools for marriage and family, but that's the foundation for marriage and family. So what in the world happened? <laughs> Sin happened. God gave us clarity on life and we chose to go another way. Go to another source for knowledge and wisdom, the tree, the forbidden fruit, and it plunged the whole earth into sin. And now we have to work at loving God and work at loving each other. We now have to work at building God-glorifying families and enjoying the earth. It takes work to relax, huh? To play with the kids, to go on a date now. It takes work. It takes work, it's difficult, it doesn't just happen. You literally have to work to try to create time <laughs> so that you can enjoy your kids. There's always another project. There's always another thing to do. You have to work to go on a date and, and cultivate your marriage. There's always something to do. There's never enough time. The key to the door of the Garden of Eden, getting in there, understanding the whole thing is summed up in one single word, I believe relationships. The whole garden is wrapped around relationships. Your relationship with God, your relationship with your helper, with your spouse, with your friend, 
Your relationship, be fruitful and multiply with your kids. Your relationship and community. Love God, love one another. It's all centered about relationships. Can we live in a world like this as God has intended and get back to the Garden of Eden, get our marriages and families back to the way God made it? This is relationship goals. I truly believe it. This is God's design. So now that we have the painting, let's walk through seasons of life. I'm going to give you four seasons we're going to walk through. Are you ready? Take out your notes. Get your phone ready. Get your pencil ready. Get whatever it is. I'm going to just start dropping bombs, okay? This is like six classes summed up into one, okay? So... Um, Four seasons of life. Number one, singleness, searching for the one. Number two, married, growing in a healthy marriage. Number three, married with children, raising a godly family. And number four, grandparenthood, the golden years. I think they are. Let's talk about it. Singleness, searching for the one. Notice Adam wasn't exactly searching for a spouse, and if he did, all he was going to find was a big female gorilla. That's it. She's kind of cute. She's kind of hairy, but kind of cute. It wasn't until he was asleep and at rest in his relationship with God that the Lord brought him the one. A joke and a bit mystical, but a great picture, no doubt, because I actually see this happen in the church. When people are just honestly seeking God with all of their heart in the church, God seems to then bring them the person that he has made for them. Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Everything you need will be added to you when you're seeking first the kingdom. Simple. Singles, you want to fall in love, you need to know you attract who you are. Instead of focusing all your time trying to find the right person, focus on being the right person, and you will attract the right person. It's like a fishing lure, right? You put certain types of bait on the lure, on the line to catch certain types of fish. And uh, what kind of fish are you trying to catch? That's the question. The same with hunting. You, you do certain calls and scents to attract certain types of animals. Who are you attracting? You attract who you are. What are you putting out? Focus on being the right person and you will attract the right person. It's that simple. When you find a person, think through the four Fs. Mr. J gave these to me when I was in high school. My high school geometry teacher, 10th grade, and they still stuck in my mind today. He's a Christian, an amazing, amazing man. He still writes me letters to this day. He actually supports Legacy City Church from a distance as well. What a powerful man. He's been in my life. He said these things to us, the four F's. You should make sure you and your future spouse line up in these four F's if you can, because this is what you're going to argue about. Number one, faith. You got to have the same faith and be equally yoked spiritually. Number two, F, friends. You must be best friends. Plan on this being your buddy for the rest of your life because that's who they are. They're your buddy. And if you don't like hanging out with them, maybe you shouldn't marry them. <laughs> Number three, family. We must want to be in their family. Problems will arise in the future with family, and you want a good relationship with them if you can. If you can. It's very important. This is what people argue about. Number four F is finances. You must try to prepare financially because people argue over money. It's true. The four Fs. what people argue about. Faith, friendship, family, and finances. You got it? 
The next season we come to is marriage. Staying married and growing in a healthy relationship. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, we just looked at it, any kingdom divided against itself is laid to waste and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. When a people divide, they fall. So don't allow division in your home brothers. Do not allow it. If there is quiet, uh, if, if there is silence in your home for a couple hours, fine. Half a day, fine. Maybe even a full day, fine. But do not start letting silence go in your home two, three days. Do not let that happen. You initiate your Jesus in the marriage. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. I'm the head of the home as Christ the head of the church. Yes, you are. Now get over there initiating. Do not allow silence. Silence breaks the friendship. And then the enemy starts getting in our ears and in our hearts and in our minds and thinking all kinds of negative, bitter things about each other. And when this happens over a week period of time of silence, guess what? It, it's cancer, it's corrosion, it takes over. Don't allow it. Do you know that you can disagree with your spouse and still stay married? It's okay. This is part of marriage. You can fully disagree and still stay married. Yep. Get on with it. Get on with the conversation. It's okay, we don't see eye to eye on that, that's fine. Now let's move on. We need to learn to do this. We need to learn to work through this. Colossians 3, 14, above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. God hates divorce. He uses that word. He actually says, I hate divorce. You wanna know why? Because it's very difficult on human beings. It's like uh, trying to use a nuclear bomb to wipe out some mosquitoes. It's way too much, it's too powerful, it's not necessary. And uh, while there are very, 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 very few instances in which divorce should probably happen, I am telling you if you have a mindset in which I'm going to love my spouse, both of you, from the beginning, I'm gonna love my spouse no matter what, you then think the opposite direction, divorce is not an option, and you find yourselves repairing a lot faster than destroying. When you press the nuclear bomb of divorce, it hurts everyone. The blast goes off and hurts everyone. Friends, family, kids, you, it hurts everyone. If this has happened in your life, God can forgive and redeem, no doubt, and he does. But we know there is residual. We know there is things that come happen in life. My family, I came from a broken family. Uh, my parents both left their families to start our family and had three kids. Both left their families. And those kids were hurt, my stepbrothers and sisters, and we were thankful for our family. We didn't even, I didn't even know any of this existed until I was older. There was tension all over the place. And some of you have experienced this as well. So I didn't have the perfect family image growing up. My mom died when I was six years old. So my dad raised three boys by himself with my grandma. And he didn't remarry until after we were out of the house. So I didn't see any of that. I've had to learn everything through what's around me. My dad made 25, 30 grand a year growing up. We didn't have money, we didn't have family, we didn't, we didn't have much, we just had each other, and that was it. We had the Lord, praise God. But a house divided will not stand. And so don't let your house be divided. Brothers, you step in, you initiate. Um, don't let, don't, don't throw grenades in your own boat. This is the dumbest thing you could ever do. It's foolish, right? 
because you're going down. Yeah, yeah, I don't like you. <sighs> Boom. Yeah, you, you sink the whole thing. Think about it before you throw the grenade. I threw a lot of grenades in my early 20s. I don't throw grenades anymore. I throw cherry bombs, but not grenades. <laughs> Little M80s every once in a while, you know. The first tool for marriage that I want you to write down is the gospel in your marriage. Very simple, but it is the most difficult thing to apply. You remember the parable of the unforgiving servant. He came to the king. He owed the king like a million bucks. King, please, please don't throw me in jail. Please, please don't throw me in jail. I got to throw you in jail. Sorry, you owe me a million bucks. You haven't paid up. You got to go to jail. Please, please. I know you're forgiving and gracious, though. Okay, because I'm forgiving and gracious, I will forgive you of the million bucks. Jesus is telling this story in detail. It's beautiful. You should go read it. And it says that after the man went out, the details are so funny. It says that the man walks up and sees a man on the street who owes him 100 bucks and walks up and starts choking the guy out. He puts his hands around his neck and starts choking him for the $100 he owes him. The king's servants see this man choking out another man for $100. He says, bring him in here. He says, how dare you? I forgave you of a million dollars and you're choking him out for 100 I forgave you of everything. The parable hits home because it's true for all of us. Here we are choking each other out over 20 bucks. We've been forgiven of everything. 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 God has paid the highest price, the highest ransom for us. And here we are choking each other out. Five bucks here, 10 bucks here, 20 bucks here. How can we receive the forgiveness of God so freely and not give it to our spouse freely? In marriage, the same thing happens over and over again. We sin against each other because we're sinners. All marriages do this. Then we choose to punish or forgive each other. We punish each other with things like silent treatment, personal attacks and put-downs, rude remarks, slamming doors, yelling, because we're hurt. But how can we punish our spouse for their sins when God has not punished us for our sins? Instead of punishing, we must choose to do what God has done for us, and that is forgive. In legacy, you have the power to do it. Because God has placed his forgiveness and love within your heart, and it is not easy to do. But you have the ability to do it. And God can empower you to do it. This is the gospel in your marriage. Look to the cross of Christ. Go to the Lord in prayer, I dare you. He's going to say, haven't I loved you? Haven't I forgiven you? Haven't I served you and blessed you? Yes, Lord, you have. Then go home and love your wife. Go home and love your husband. Reconcile. Say, I'm sorry. Say, will you forgive me? Use gospel language. It's powerful. It ministers to our hearts when we use gospel language. In any relationship, will you forgive me? I'm sorry. You, you take a step out on the limb like that, and they say, I forgive you. It's magic. It's powerful. God demonstrated his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinning, Christ died for us. We were still sinning. I'm dying for you. There are two steps to the gospel in marriage. Number one is forgive as we have been forgiven. Number two is we must show grace. What is grace? Undeserved favor, undeserved blessings. If you want to not only keep your marriage alive, but thriving, joyful, warm, and peaceful, you must show grace. Not just, I forgive you, and then on your way. It's not enough. 
We have to love like God does. You must show grace. You got to give them what they don't deserve. It's when you get into a fight and you're both upset at each other and you not only choose to forgive them, but you stop by their favorite coffee shop and pick them up their favorite drink. Or you go, to, go get their car wash for them or you go to their favorite lunch or lunch spot or you, you get them a little gift or some of you like notes, you write them a little sweet note. You bless them when they don't deserve it. It is what God does for us and this is the love of God. Keep blessing each other in Jesus' name. Why? You're, you're sad to do that? I don't want to bless them. Why? Well, that hurts my pride. Good. It opens the heart. It causes the flower to bloom. And it creates sparks in your marriage. And I'm talking about the good ones. The fire of grace that comes down and just absolutely consumes all of the death, all of the sad things, and just brings forth life. It's powerful. The grace of God is powerful in our marriage. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you would love one another. And then he says this, just as I have loved you, you must love one another. This is how everybody knows you're my, you're my disciples, by your love for one another. They don't deserve my forgiveness and grace. I know. And we didn't deserve God's. And he poured it on us. As you pour on your spouse, it frees you. It frees you. It makes you happier and more joyful, more peaceful. As you do it, you actually experience deeper joy and happiness in life. True love is nonstop forgiveness. The only reason people get divorced is they won't forgive each other. That's it. They just decide one day, I'm not going to forgive you anymore. That's it. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, God told us. Bring the gospel into your marriage, okay? Next tool, are you ready? You guys okay? We need more jokes, are you all right? Okay. Next tool is love and respect in your marriage. Ephesians 5.21, you can write it down. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Apostle Paul says, first, husbands and wives submit to one another. Key. Key foundation for the entire text. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Brothers, love your wife. Ladies, respect your husband. How do we know? Look at the language Paul then uses, verse 22. He uses specific language for the wives. Wives, submit to yourselves, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Respect and honor all men? No. Respect and honor husbands? No. Respect and honor your own husband. Your husband. That's your call. That's what you're supposed to be doing. It doesn't mean that wives shouldn't love their husbands, but the best way you can love them is by honoring them and respecting them, being on their team. Specific language that Paul uses for wives to the husbands. Now he gives specific language from the husbands to the wives. Verse 25, love your wife, husbands, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Notice. It doesn't say wives, uh, I'm sorry, husbands, respect and honor your wife. Though that is implied, the key word is love. And it's very interesting because it plays into who we are as male and female. Brothers, did you know that your wife's cup 
needs to be filled up with love every single day. What? Yes. But I did it yesterday. I know, she needs a refill. Every day. Yes, every day, a refill every single day. How do I know? Psalm 23, my cup overflows. My cup overflows, the psalmist said about with God's love pouring into his cup. Overflows. You ever do that at the uh, soda machine? You put in too much ice and you're like, ksh, 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 ksh. Ah. The picture of overflowing is so important. And brothers, if you fill up that cup and then you attempt to fill it up the next day, guess what? It only went down this much. But if you choose not to refill for a couple months, that thing is bone dry. And you wonder why you don't feel honor and respected. She needs love every day, brothers, every day, every day, every single day, lots of love, lots of love. How do we know? How much does God love us? How often is he pouring into our cup every single day? Ladies, your, guys just want, your guy just wants respect and honor. Did you not just support? Notice what happens when one guy disrespects another guy. It's a big deal in the guy world. You mad dogging me, right? Who's looking at me funny? <laughs> Guys get all mad. <laughs> it's really funny though, because it's like, if you disrespect another guy, I mean, throw bar stools over this stuff, right? Dude, you looking at me funny? You looking at me? Um, don't disrespect me, you know? And uh, they'll fight and they'll be like, okay, that was good, man. All right, I'll see you later, you know. <laughs> it's just the way guys work. I mean, you literally see them punch each other out, bloodied up and this and that. It's like, you good? Okay, I'm good too. Okay, I'll see you later. <laughs> Ladies, if you're on your guy's team supporting him, cheering him on, and the whole world is against him, he still feels like Superman because his wife is on his team. But if you are against him and disrespect him, even if the whole world is for him, he feels crushed and he cannot succeed. He can't move forward. I was listening to a podcast the other day about a Navy SEAL. They were talking about the way they trained the men in this day. The way they used to not train them was tell them that they would have to give up all of their life, their marriage and their family basically to pursue this life. And they had concluded now in this day and age that a healthy marriage and healthy family and them taking time to pour into their families and into their marriage actually makes them superhumans when they go into war. Because they're focused. Their minds are clear. They're not worried about home. Brothers, your wife needs endless love like Christ gives to his church. And ladies, your husband just desires that you would fully be on his team. That's it. That's it. Now, it's important we love and serve each other in the way our spouse needs. I can't tell you how many times I see men showing love to their wives in the way they want to be loved. And the wife says, I don't feel like he loves me. That's because we all desire to be loved in different ways. And many of you have heard the five love languages. They actually have one book dedicated to five love languages for men, five love languages for women. And so you can actually dissect the specific things that you're called to do for your spouse. And if you haven't heard about this, the five love languages are words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, 
quality time and physical touch. Those are the five. You can look them up, the five love languages. And each of you desire love language in probably one of these two or three ways max. And uh, you also like to give love in that way, which might not be the way that your wife or husband likes to receive love. And uh, husband, you're, you, you keep, I try to give her this kind of love, but she doesn't seem to like it. I don't get it. That's because she wants words, brothers, words. Do you know what words are? Words. Words, yes. He likes words. That's, that's for me. That's a word for me because I'm an order by trade. But the problem is I have a problem expressing words to my wife. I know. I'm an idiot. But it's part of my makeup. It's who I am. Uh, I'm not a words... Uh, I don't know, words don't do much for me. I have other love languages, but it's what my wife needs. Oftentimes, we want to give the love language that we like most. So my wife uses words. I'm like, oh, that's very nice. You know, I would, there's other love languages that would really be a blessing. Know the kind of love your spouse desires and remind yourself to pour that kind of love on them. Amen? The next tool I want to give you is godly communication. If you need to be reminded of godly communication, just turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Remember, no silence in your home. Communication is, no communication is simply the death of your friendship. Stop talking, the friendship's over. Marriage is over, the family's over. Don't let it happen. If you need to be reminded how to communicate, 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient, kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Did you know that men and women speak two different languages? There is man language and there is woman language. Yes, and they are so different. They pick two, two uh, you know, I don't know, hieroglyphics in uh, Russian or something, you know, try to put these together. They're, they're so drastically different. One of the best pieces of gold I ever received was when I asked one of my mentors to tell me the secret to a long, happy marriage, and he said, when a problem arises and my wife is overwhelmed or upset, I ask her, honey, do you want an answer or do you just want a hug? You just want to hug. I'm a fix-it guy. I like to fix everything, and I want to come in with all the answers. You ever see a group of guys, you know, walk up to each other, and, they, you know, they, the guy tells his problem? What do we all start doing? We start giving him all these answers of how to fix it. You ever see the brothers say, oh, come, come here, come here, man. Let me, come on in here. Come, come in here, baby boy. Come on. Group hug. They're just hugging on each other for like 10 minutes. No, I mean, there's a time and place for a hug, but you know what I'm saying. We like to fix things. We speak two different languages. You ever see guys talk? Guys walk up to each other. What's up, bro? How you doing? Good. How about you? Good. Good. See you later. <laughs> that was a full conversation. <laughs> you ever see ladies at a table talk? You get six of them there? Oh, baby. Ladies have a third ear, I am convinced, because they can listen to three or four conversations at one time. 
brothers, like, they just, like, they're, like, singular, singular, singular blockhead. I can only do one thing. Ladies have the ability to listen. I don't know how that is, but their communication is, is far beyond what we can. And they literally can communicate. Three, they're just listening and talking at the table, and it's all going. And I mean, it's going off, and my head's exploding, you know? Guys like to talk shoulder to shoulder. You ever notice that? You'll never see two guys staring, gazing into each other's eyes. Tell me more. Tell me. <laughs> Women like to talk face to face, brothers. They like eye contact. Bros, again, they, they stand shoulder to shoulder. That, you know, they definitely stand, but they're, they're off to an angle. You'll notice this now. You'll notice this. Ladies, you want to get your guy talking deeply about life? Do something shoulder to shoulder with him. What does he like to do? Do that with him, and you'll find him talking about everything. Brothers, you want to discover the depths of your wife and get her to really like you as a friend? Talk to her face to face, eye contact, and listen to her for long periods of time. And talk like you were her best girlfriend. Learn the woman language. What happened? No. Are you serious? Tell me what happened. Oh my gosh. You got to learn the language. Conflict comes through misunderstandings and miscommunication. That's all that it is, day and night. We're just constantly misunderstanding each other because we speak two different languages, miscommunicating because we speak two different languages. We're just doing this over and over. And when we miscommunicate, misunderstand, we like to miscommunicate with little digs and pokes that we know are not helpful to resolving the argument. We love to misunderstand and not listen to what the other person is saying. Instead, we're preparing a response in our minds instead of trying to truly understand why our spouse is offended or hurt. It's important that we listen between the lines to understand what our mate is meaning. 1 Peter 3, 7, brothers, it only says to the husbands, husbands, Dwell with your wife in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you in the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Why does it say weaker vessel? The vessel holds the same amount of water, two clay pots, same amount of water. They're, they're, they're co-equals. But one is built differently than the other. They're male and female the man is built like a coffee thermos. He can bang them around. You see guys like hammer on each other in the locker room. It's hilarious. But a, a woman is like a wine glass. Holds the same amount of water. Just delicate, responds and thinks differently than you do. And you, God says, if you don't dwell with your wife in an understanding manner, you don't listen to your wife, I don't listen to you. So that your prayers may not be hindered. You don't listen to your wife, I don't listen to you. Brothers, we need to learn to listen between the lines. What is she meaning? What is she trying to say to me? It literally took me like six years to figure this out. I still haven't figured it out. But it took me six years to just have an epiphany and wake up and say, I'm not listening. I mean, I can repeat back to her what she has said to me, but I'm not actually listening to what her heart is trying to say to me. This takes time. I had to have brothers hold me accountable to listen for upwards of 10 minutes at a time. Literally set your clock and just listen and listen and listen because I like to interrupt. 
And I like to say, yeah, but this, yeah, but this, yeah, but this. And I want to be in that conversation responding. The problem is my wife's brilliant. She speaks more in pages or paragraphs or stories. And she's trying to download an entire picture to me of what's going on. And I'm cutting her off. So I don't get the full download. And I have not figured this out, trust me. I'm still working on it. I'll be working on it for the next 30, 40 years. But James tells us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Let your speech always be gracious, Colossians 4, 6, seasoned with salt. I love that picture, seasoned with salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer each other. The final expectation is godly, expect, the final tool is godly expectations for marriage. Philippians 2, 3. Are you guys okay? I know it's Super Bowl Sunday. You okay? Okay, we're going to hammer through this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have the mind among you which was in Christ Jesus. Everyone does this. We look to our own interests before the interests of others. We all have hidden expectations that we put upon each other. And when they're broken, it lowers the joy in our marriage. We all have preferences, don't we? Uh, we, we need to recognize people breaking our preferences and expectations is not necessarily sinful. What, is the, what are the expectations for your spouse? I'll share some of Katie and mine with you, okay? Uh, for Katie, everything has a spot in the whole house. I'm not joking. It literally has a spot in the whole house. This is how my wife is built. She naturally does this. It's not something that she works at. She just loves it. I, on the other hand, am a bit sloppy sometimes. I can drop stuff off. I put my shoes off when I walk in here, drop my watch here, drop my hat over there. I got stuff all over the house. My wife's like, can't you just keep it in one spot, please? I personally like to clean up right after a meal. We cook a meal, I like to clean up right after so I can enjoy the meal, no cleanup later. My wife says we need to eat now because it's hot and forget cleaning up, we'll do it later. These are preferences. My wife, Katie, somehow forgets to clean out the espresso machine every time she has to use it. So I have to clean it every single time. But I'm not bitter. <laughs> but she is also absolutely the cleanest person I know. Uh, she's perfectly on time. I'm always pushing the limits. Uh, I'm very tight with money and savings. Katie would rather spend and enjoy are these things sinful? No. They're just preferences we have, expectations we desire. And these little expectations can create arguments, and you have to decide early on, am I going to fight about this or let it go? Clean up that espresso machine or say something to dig at her. I have grown to realize she does so many things for me and the kids, it's no big deal. Clean it up. Who cares? We all got our things. I like to categorize our hidden expectations and preferences this way. God's kingdom versus my kingdom. God's kingdom versus my kingdom. You see, God's kingdom, you should actually get in fight over things when you break God's kingdom's rules. When you sin in ways against God's kingdom, if you're unfaithful, something sinning greatly against each other in the marriage against God, you should fight. This should break out in a fight. But my kingdom stuff, we should not be fighting about. This is just a preference. The higher the expectations in your marriage, 
the lower your joy. Nobody likes Alice in Wonderland off with their head because they don't keep all the rules. Both parties have to walk on those eggshells to please each other and it's just not fun. So I allot you each five or 10 preferences each, okay? You decide, we all have them. Figure out what your five or 10 preferences are and spouse gladly obey their commands. <laughs> My kingdom. And it's okay, I'm just gonna clean it up. No big deal, Katie puts my shoes away. It just happens. Let's talk about families and raising godly families next season, are you ready? These last two go very, very quickly. I'm gonna hammer through them. <sighs> Remember the garden. Built all around relationships, relationship goals with God, with your spouse, with your family. Get back to the garden. God told us to be fruitful and multiply and enjoy the earth. Have kids, teach them to know God and enjoy the earth and to teach their kids to love God and your grandkids. Relationships are perhaps the most valuable thing we have in life, so invest wisely. I'm telling you, on your deathbed, nobody is thinking about building another business. Nobody's thinking about making more money. Nobody cares about those things. What we think about, man, I wish I would have spent more time with my spouse. I wish I would have repaired that relationship. I wish I would have spent more time with my kids, my grandkids. I wish I would have spent more time with my God. I'm about to see him. These are the most valuable things on the planet. Psalm 127.3 Behold, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Children are not burdens from the Lord, they are gifts from the Lord to be opened and explored and developed. They are gifts that you get to, un you get to open the package, you get to open the gift and you get to see what's inside. The society makes children out to be burdens. It bugs the heck out of me, man. They're not burdens. Everything in life is a burden. What produces this much joy of this little child? Their blessing. We aren't to be putting our dreams on them. We are to be discovering the dreams God has placed inside of them. Who are they? What has God made in them? What dreams has he put in their heart? That's what I want to know. We as parents are to be ambassadors of God's love and truth to them. We introduce them to the Lord. We are showing them to our Father. Can you imagine being back in the garden? You have kids in the Garden of Eden. Son, it's a big day. I want to introduce you to the Father. Come on. You get to introduce your kid to God. Every time I think about how God parents us, I can't help but think about the prodigal son story. When the kid is done wrong, he burnt up all the cash that his dad gave him, the inheritance, big money. He goes into the city and he burns it all up. And when he comes home, is his dad standing there with his belt in his hand? No. He's standing there with a robe in his hand and a signet ring. He shows him grace. We get to introduce the love, forgiveness, and grace of God, the good news of the gospel to our kids. No doubt, discipline is needed, but listen to this. His rod and his staff, they do what? They what? 
They comfort us. His rod and his staff for correction, they comfort us. We don't have to earn God's love. He loves us because he loves us, and we love our kids because we love them. They don't have to earn anything. They don't have to be anything great. We love them because we love them. For us to be proud of them, why is God proud of you? Tell me. What have you done? I love my boy down there. God, tell me why. What has he done? Well, yeah, I love him. That's my boy. I'm proud of him. We need to pour that on them as they're young. I'm always going to be proud of them. I'm always going to love them. Parents, we get the small window to pour into our kids before we send them off into the world. We must disciple them or somebody else will. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he or she should go, and even when they're old, they will not depart from it. Deuteronomy 6.7, teach them diligently to your children the word of God. When, and you do it when you're doing what? When you talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. This is not formal training. This is life training. This is not seminary for our kids. This is life training. You're just walking with them through life. Let them watch our lives. Let them experience our grace. Let, let them hide in our love. We need to be present and engaged. I remember asking a pastor who raised a wonderful family uh, how he did it, what his formula was, and he said, I just engaged them every day. I just pursued them every day. I don't know how to raise a good godly family, but I can do that. I can engage them every day. I can love and serve them every day as best I can. I can pursue them and engage them every day. I love that formula because they're doing life together. Stay engaged with them. Parents, we need our relationship with the Lord to be right so we can love each other well, which in return causes our children to see the love of God. Remember as much as possible never to discipline a child in anger. Take a few minutes to cool down. Discipline a child as God disciplines us in right temperament. You never see God throwing planets around. He disciplines with precision. And he loves his kids and comforts them all the way through it. Discipline with the outcome in mind. What are we trying to teach our child here? What do, do we have in mind? What do we want them to learn? When God disciplines us, it hurts most times, but he has a goal in mind. He's trying to teach us something. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. It's important to set boundaries for your kids and then be consistent or they will walk all over you. It's like negotiating with a terrorist. These little toddlers. They will negotiate everything, cookies and, and gummy bears and all the rest out of you. I think it's important to remember not to disrespect each other in front of the kids. Fight if you need to. Later, behind closed doors, don't do it in front of the kids. You need to be a team when you're dealing with your kids. I remember a pastor saying, I remember him saying, if your child answers yes to these three questions, you have won them. You've won them forever. Number one, son, do you know that I love you? Number two, son, do you know that I love your mother? Number three, son, do you want what we have in our lives? Notice general questions, a generalization of questions, but oh, it covers everything. The details are heavy. Do you know that I love you? Do you know that I love your mom? And do you want what we have? 
helpful stages for child raising when they're young, before junior high, high school, the three C's, are you ready? You're a cop, then you're a coach, then you're a counselor. You're a cop, then you're a coach, then you're a counselor. First, you're a cop, you police them when they're young. Don't do this, do this, don't do this, do this, until they reach about junior high, high school, then you become a coach. You're not do this, don't do this, you're not no longer, you're, you're coaching them on the sidelines. You can do it, son, get in the game, you got this. But if they do something wrong, you blow the whistle, you throw the flag, you pull them out of the game. When they leave your home, you become a counselor. You counsel them. You give them advice. You talk to them. You're not a cop anymore. You're not a coach anymore. You can't pull them out of the game. You got to, they're in the game. This leads to close the golden years of grandparenting. Grandmas and grandpas are the best, aren't they? Papas and mimis feel like home. Best food, best vacation hangs. They spoil us and love us unconditionally. And we love them for it. Proverbs 17, 6, grandchildren are the crown of the age and the glory of children is their fathers. Grandchildren are a crown. Beautiful. Beautifully put. With the garden in mind, think about a couple who has been married for decades. Wisdom, they have tact, they have experience, they are grandparents, and they have the blessing of passing on all of their relationship with God to their kids and their grandkids. Psalm 145, 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Grandma and grandpa, the kids many times won't listen to their parents, but they will listen to you. I remember seeing my papa worship the Lord as a kid. It impacted me deeply. My pop was a big, he was an Italian mobster guy. He was in the mafia until he was 30, and then he ran from it. He had a neck this big, and just, he was just a bruiser. He was in Little Italy, Ohio. And he uh, fled to California to get away from it all. And um, anyways, uh, I remember seeing him. Um, he was always at a very hard exterior um, but he had a deep heart, and, and when we would go to church, um, I remember him taking me to church, and I remember watching him during worship, he would start crying. He'd be overwhelmed, he'd start crying. The Lord impacted him, and it impacted me. Papa, the kids will listen to you. Use all of your grandpa powers to bless them and show them grace. Teach them about Jesus. Be a guide for them in life. They will listen to the parents. Grandmas, we need you. You impact us more than you know. My grandma, 90, she's 90 years old. I bought her an iPhone. And we FaceTime. <laughs> and uh, I didn't realize this until probably the last 5, 10 years of my life, but she still prays for me every time I call her. She has been praying for me since I was a little kid. She speaks good things over me on the phone. All it just speaks good things over me. You're going to do this. You're going to do great things. She just speaks good things over me nonstop. Just gets into my head, gets into my heart. It's powerful. You've heard it said before, our kids may be able to run from our presence, but they can't escape our prayers. I saw my grandma Thompson, my other grandma, I saw her read through the Bible every year that I'd known her. She had to teach herself to read because she dropped out of school in the fourth grade because she was in the Great Depression in Oklahoma. And she had to teach herself to read, but she started reading and she read the Bible and she read the Bible every single year in her life. Long as I had known her, she read it more than 50 times in her life, she had told me. The warmth of a grandma is powerful. Look at how I am 
I am drawn to the text to this day. I remember seeing my grandma with a magnifying glass in my house trying to read the word. Into her 80s, she's still reading through it every single year. The warmth of a grandma is powerful, especially in hard times. The wisdom of a grandpa is priceless in difficult seasons. Grandparents, use your superpowers, having lived life, making many good and bad decisions. Counsel your kids, pour grace on your grandkids, and point them to Jesus as often as you can. Proverbs 16, 31, gray hair is the crown of glory, and it is gained in a righteous life. Relationships in the Garden of Eden. That's it. It's all pointing back to relationship with your God, relationship with your spouse, relationship with your kids, relationship with your grandkids. And watch this. When you're worshiping God in that, the world gets to watch us enjoy the God who made us. And we get to introduce the world to the God who made us. That's the gospel. That's it. Do you got it? Did you receive the deposit? You okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for relationship goals. Thank you for the work you're doing in us. I pray that you would give us perspective, that you would help our marriages, help our future marriages, help our families, help our future families, help our grandkids and our future grandkids to walk with you and know you. And I pray that we would find peace in this life, glimpses of the Garden of Eden, glimpses of heaven over and over and over again. Oh, Father, would you renew that work in us, do that work in us today. We need your love. We need your grace. We need your forgiveness. Empower us by your Holy Spirit to love and serve each other in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.